there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Welcome, welcome, welcome to F1 with DRS. This is going to be an abridged episode with the boys and then straight into an interview with Gunter Steiner. Yeah, baby. Yeah, Gunter. Now that's an accent, Gunter. Gunter Steiner. I still don't know how to say his name. Gunther, yeah, Gunter. Gunter. Gunther. What do you say, Jethro? I don't know. I mean, Gunther. Gunther, yeah. It's what got he, that what, is, what does he say? Well, the, the the Germans do the th as t, right? Yeah. So that's confusing. So I think it'd be Gunter. Gunter. But Gunther. I did solve the mystery. Were you guys at all curious why he's Italian, but clearly sounds so German? Isn't he Austrian? No, he is Italian, but he grew up in the Alps, the Italian Alps. In sixty eight percent of his town speaks German natively. Interesting. Uh, yes. So that finally, because when he was with was Mattia, that when Germany invaded? Italy and just everyone stayed or something like that? I just think that everyone in that area was yeah. speaking German. And then, I, I mean, I, I didn't ask him any of oh. the history of the whole thing. But if you recall, he's he in season, the recent season of Drive to Survive, he's with Mattia and they go on that hike. Best friends. So cute. Yeah, and they're speaking Italian. And they're, and I'm like, wait a minute. He's, he's And then it comes out that he's Italian. But I'm like, but he sounds like he has a German accent, mm-hmm. not an yeah. Italian accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what it is. He grew up, that his German's his first language. And there is a twang to it. It's like German, but it's like my mom is German. And so my whole side of the family and it's, there's something a little, oh, like it's, I love there. a double accent. Yeah. Well, and then you throw in him being in North Carolina for 17 years. So who knows what that's <laughs> adding to the mix? Just a little molasses in there. Yeah. Well. Classing it up a little bit. Yeah. So, um, on this terrible break, that's way too long. Oh. Things are still happening. Yeah. I think the first order of business is our hero. The wolf by the name of Toto has broken his arm. Full, full cast. Full cast. Yeah. Mountain biking on holiday. Yeah. Susie posted the picture and it was like a thread of photos and it was the very last one. She wasn't trying to put that out there right away. It was a secret of. (laughs) And in her post, didn't she allude to some previous injuries that he had (laughs) acquired during break? What it it sounded like is that he's not built for break. No. No. I think it sounded more like he saves it all for break and just goes balls to the wall and does everything and maybe goes a little too hard, but he goes hard. To let people in behind the curtain a little bit, it's very, very rare that I'm 
disappointed in Charlie. In fact, I couldn't be a prouder father figure. Like, I just, he makes me so happy all the time. But he did recently disappoint me by admitting that his fingertips have been numb since he went in the cold plunge in Indio. Oh, yeah. I just, <laughs> still, my, thermometer, <laughs> my thermometer was in there creating the temperature, uh -huh. and I just grabbed my thermometer after. I didn't go into it, and that fucked me up. It did. Okay. And so he probably has some very significant nerve damage. Yeah. But the fact that he told anyone, I was very disappointed in. Well, actually, at your house the other day, we were talking about pain, and I just hear Ace be like, he's like, my dad never feels pain. And I was like, <laughs> well, right. I think he feels pain. He just might not tell anyone. No, he doesn't feel pain. That's why this was a tactical blunder for him to it say. It was a huge blunder. And, and I found out about it third party. So I was with Eric and Molly in Martha's Vineyard on our trip. And Eric's very concerned about Charlie's fingertips and checking in all the time. Do you have any feeling back? And then Molly's all invested oh, in it. And Kristen, I think Eric's worried I'm going to sue him. <laughs> well, that yeah. could be. Wow. Yeah, he is a lawyer by trade. Because he, <laughs> he keeps checking in a lot more than pretty much anything else. And like, sure, I told him they're numb. I haven't been complaining about it to him, but he has checked in so much. Well, I was, I just said to Eric, I'm like the eighth time he brought up your fingertip. I said, look, I don't want to talk about it. And Charlie should have never talked about it. <laughs> yeah. You should have noticed Charlie's fingertips were dead when he picked up a hot coal out of a fucking fire. And you were like, wow, how do you do that? And, he, and then he would have just casually said, oh, I haven't felt my fingertips in six years. That's <laughs> how you want that to come out. <laughs> so similarly, Toto from these pictures looks like he won the lottery. He couldn't be happier about this yeah. cast. That is not going to slow him down at all. He probably doesn't even like that there's holding a... holding his son's hand. Yes, he's not letting his boy worry about it. This is nothing, son. Also, mountain biking is quite a way to go. I mean, those guys are already insane. That downhill mountain biking is just insane. And the fact that he's doing that on his break, clearly he's not doing that every weekend for practice. Right. He just had a little time off, hopped on a bike, went to the top. I wonder how long he can sit on vacation in the house after breakfast before he just loses his mind? I don't think very long. No. I just want to know how many trees he took out. Oh, that's a great <laughs> a, question. Yeah. Cleared a path through the forest. We've seen the damage to him, but there have been reports of big avalanches in Austria, <laughs> deforestation. <laughs> yeah, but he looks great. I mean, he's not affected at all by this no. shattering of the elbow or whatever happened. Do you have any of the details, Matt? Not many of the details. I just think Christian Horner is probably hoping Checo goes mountain biking on this break. <laughs> that's you think that's yeah well there was a there was a meme right it, it was showing lance is you know all these dudes go down uh, from bicycling yeah it's like the most dangerous activity in the world as it turns out yeah it's all botas does is cycling but he's on the road and gravel which is probably a little bit less risky than downhill mountain biking well i'll tell you what botas is taking a break from right now not racing his clothes oh yeah there have been seven or eight posts I might be exaggerating, but every time I see Botas's page flip by on my Instagram, he's nude somewhere. Yep. This yep. is a whole new thing. It's counterintuitive because you would think he was kind of launching a new brand or something, but he's not wearing anything. There's so. nothing to sell. No. <laughs> mm -hmm. Unless he's got maybe like it's a skin, it's maybe a skincare routine. A skincare, sunblock, sunscreen. Yep. sunscreen. Well, he just feels super confident with that mullet. It's just, you know, it distracts a little bit, but, yeah. you know. Who can't relate? I know. You get that perfect haircut in junior high. You yeah. Know, like, that's all anyone's looking at. We're yeah. good. 
So what's happening? Because we're going to get right into mm-hmm. pulp. And then Jethro, are you prepared to give us a zaddy? Ooh. Last time you you claimed your dog had eaten your homework. or I mean, it's late over here, but I can give you a zaddy, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> this will be the zaddy that never happened. <laughs> Often alluded to, never delivered. Yeah, I can give you a zaddy, sure. Are you going to wait till it, it's an obituary? Is that what you're waiting for, for the, the zaddy <laughs> no, to pass? No, he's a, he's, a, he's a young guy. He's going to outlive me. So <laughs> okay. no, we can we we can do a zaddy. That's fine. All right, Matt, hit us with some All right, juicy so stuff happening. Came out this week. Uh, I think we've talked about it before, but it seems to be... That it's happening that Alpha Tari is going to be running the RB19 next year. There are a lot of stipulations. I went down a rabbit hole and there's like some rules that might not make it fully possible, but mm-hmm. it'll probably be as close to it as they can get within the rules. And then Hugo Boss might be the namesake of this team. So, and they might even, Hugo Boss might be acquiring Alpha Tari, like the whole clothing line as well. So oh. there's like some big moves, but uh, I think it's called like, Orlean or Lawn, what's the other sponsor of Alphatari? It's on the side of the car. Yeah, it looks like Orlean. Yeah, so they're also trying to fight to be the namesake of that title car. So oh. who knows what's really happening? Who even knew Alpha Tauri was a clothing brand? It's yeah, like the we weirdest that this team year. name ever, isn't it? Who who knew that that existed? I didn't know until they announced they were no longer sponsoring them. Yeah. That's when I learned. <laughs> yeah. On their way out, they finally introduced what they do, I guess. <laughs> Wild. But I did see a mock-up of a Hugo Boss. Someone, you know, yeah. there's been a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They look cool because they're borrowing off of the, you know, yeah. some of the patterns and prints. It'd be really cool. We also have another rumor that I just saw this morning. I haven't heard of it before, that Alfa Romeo will be reportedly the main sponsor of Haas in 2024. Oh. So that could be a big change. It's just early days of the rumor, so. And we follow Alfa Romeo around yeah. via Vince. Yeah, so that could be great. We may be doing our next Gunter interview. From North Carolina. In his pool. <sighs> That'd <Yeah>. be incredible. <laughs> you know, tell Vince. <laughs> Fuck, I mean, he let you cut Botas's hair. Yeah. Anything's on the table. Exactly. Yes. Well, yeah, and we got some things coming up I'll talk to you about later. Oh, my gosh. Um, we got also Costco in Austin, Texas is selling GP tickets. So Costco has now gotten the F1 game selling packages. For the Austin Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty exciting. I'm not surprised you know how I feel about Costco. I think it's Wonderful. the greatest store in the world. Yeah. Have you ever shopped at a Costco, Jethro? I have not. No, oh, we're going to have well, to take you. I think I've been in one once to use a restroom, <laughs> but that's about as far as it's gone. I just want to give you one anecdotal <laughs> story about Costco. Best return policy in the history of merchandise. So I bought a vacuum cleaner in 2006. Let's say it was $190. It was a Hoover. My then housekeeper obliterated it within a year and a half and it wouldn't work. So then I took it back to Costco. They gave me a brand new Hoover vacuum. But in the time since I had bought it, the price had fallen to $160. So then they gave me $20 and a brand new Hoover. You'll think I'm exaggerating. This same thing happened three more times. I couldn't keep a vacuum cleaner working. (laughs) With Leonor, I love her to death. Uh, she's my soulmate, but she did destroy vacuum cleaners. Uh, by the the last time I returned it, the price had fallen to like one ten. So I ultimately got back eighty dollars and like six free vacuums. I can't recommend that place enough. Well, we statute of limitations is ten years here, but we in uh, when I came home from college, we'd go camping and we had no gear and no money, so we'd go to Costco and get 
everything. I'm talking the <laughs> nicest, biggest tent, air mattresses, Ooh. chairs, coolers, you name it. Steaks. Clear out the camping section. <laughs> we would camp. And then at the end of the summer, I'd go back and be like, you know, I just, it's not really for me. And they would gladly take it back. Yeah, they, no, they're not even allowed to ask you a question. This is a new thing that I had no idea about, but it's clearly an American thing. So I've done a similar thing with Best Buy in the past. When mm-hmm. we were filming Top Gear America and we were staying in Vegas for like two weeks or something horrendous in, in the hotel in the Venetian, I had a newborn, pretty newborn baby at the time. We had formula and milk and everything. So we went and bought a fridge from Best Buy uh-huh. to put in this hotel room because they didn't even have a, a mini fridge because they just want you to room service everything. Used it for like two weeks. And then my missus was just like, yeah, just take it back. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, you can't take it back. She's like, yeah, take it back. It'll be fine. Absolutely. So I, so I packaged it up really roughly, wheeled it back through the lobby of this hotel in Vegas, drove back to Best Buy and got my money back. No questions <laughs> asked. That was amazed. And I get not to out you, but it probably wasn't even that expensive either, right? Those little mini fridges. What was it? 85 no, but bucks? I was like, I was literally about to fly home to the UK. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. I can't throw it away or return it. Yeah, th- throw it away seemed wasteful. Oh. I like to think it's got a second life in someone else's Vegas hotel room. Don't we know someone that does that for their job? They take all that return stuff. I was telling you, one of my neighbors, I'm so nosy. I have to know why everyone makes money. Like it drives me bonkers. If I'm at a nice hotel and I'm thinking, Well, I know how we got here. We're on TV. We hit the lottery. How did these other people hit the lottery? Like, what's their racket? I'm always obsessed with it. So one of my neighbors, very nice guy, start talking to him. And sure enough, he's got all these contracts with places like Costco and Walmart where people, they keep their breast milk cold for a week and then they return the thing and say it was broken. (laughs) And then it goes to him to refurbish. And most of the time, nothing's broken. They just returned it because they didn't want it. And then it gets resold back to the store. So, yeah, it's a whole cottage industry mm-hmm. is like reselling these returned items back to the original big box store. Those are the best ways to make money. Those weird little things. Uh-huh. Love it. Yeah. Um, we got Checo could be having a reduced salary cut. What? Apparently there was a clause in his contract saying that if he has a 125-point deficit to max it would trigger clauses that allow Red Bull to reduce his salary and minus and like restrict his bonuses. So he's now exactly 125 going into, so they could choose to drop his salary and not give him his bonuses. As soon as Max gets wind of this, he is going to go full throttle. He's going to put a ninth gear in that transmission. (laughs) Well, maybe that's what he already did. Maybe he's been promised that bonus. Well, right. I'm sure he's in the bonus area of (laughs) his contract and they're trying to scrounge and figure out how we're going to pay. They should make it that just the money goes to one of them. If Max is more than 125, he gets it. It's all in. Yeah. (laughs) We also got the dumbest news of the week because it means nothing. Um, Nikita, I don't know how to say his last name, Mazapan, Mazapan, Mazapan. was cleared by the EU court to return to F1, which means nothing. It means nothing, correct. (laughs) There's just a legal thing he's allowed to, I guess, (laughs) throw his hat in the ring, which won't get caught. Well, that's a foreshadow, because obviously he was driving for Haas. Yeah. And and I asked Gunter, you know, what's the limit? Could some guy with a billion dollars who can't parallel park, can we get him a super license and put him behind the wheel? Like, 
And uh, Gunther was trying to be respectful to him, but I was like, the bottom line, the guy was not one of the 20 best drivers in the world. No. Like minimally, no matter yeah. what you want to say, he was not, he should not have been there. Oh, And I assume his dad's assets have now been frozen, so he can't even come no. swaggering in with 300 yeah. million pounds yeah, in that, his pocket. That fertilizer, that juicy, juicy fertilizer money. <laughs> Isn't that what they did? Yeah. Some yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of rumors that have came about this week and then have now been squashed about Carlos leaving Ferrari to go to Audi. Uh-huh. Um, he it said that he was, and then it just came out this morning that someone in Carlos's team said that that isn't happening. He's staying with Ferrari. But as we all know, that shit doesn't matter. People are always saying that, but I feel like that would be a good move for him. Well, I read some headline that was like he had signed some kind of like intention. Con- yeah. I'm like, what the fuck of contract yeah. is that? And in the same thing, apparently Charles has now signed a contract, which would be the biggest contract in F1. I think we're... 160 million? It's a, yeah. 100 pounds. So, yeah. So it would be a $204 million contract. $37 million a year and a $50 million bonus. That he'll never wow. get. That he'll never get. There'll be no bonus. They could offer him a billion dollar bonus. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to give you a trillion dollars if you win the constructors for us. And that's to stay at Ferrari? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he's like their. Who knows? Where, where does this info come from, though? Like, I it's have great. a lot of it's sources to Jethro. talk about. It. I am but an investigative who, who journalist. Is privy? Who is privy to this information? Oh, there are lots. contract, Instagram. Yeah. But, but that's not bigger. <laughs> that just must be because it's so multi-year, right? How many yeah, years is that it's, for? I think it is five. Because Max and Lewis are making more than that this yeah. season. I think it's just because it's all in one With contract the bonuses and they're makes doing it smaller yeah. two-year deals for more money. Right. Yeah. Staying yeah. nimble. Um, yeah. And then... Benotto, how do you say? I can't pronounce it. Mattia, let's just say yeah. Mattia. He has apparently signed with Alpine. So that's still a rumor, but he's apparently agreed oh, yeah. to the contract that was given to him. Who knows? We also have, I've heard a lot about this in the last couple of weeks. So F1, apparently Vegas is the first race they are promoting. They've never promoted a race themselves. There's always an outside company or source that promotes it. So they're doing things a different way. And they have now said they're putting barricades in front of everything. So basically, if you don't get a ticket, there's no way you can watch the race. But there are restaurants and bars over top that you could sit down and have a drink and watch the race. So F1 is privy to that and has now gone to all these restaurants saying that basically, if you want to be open and have people have drinks there or do whatever, your capacity limit, which isn't even what a restaurant generally can fit in their restaurant, they would have to pay $1,500 per number that the legal like a uh, liquor license says that their capacity so some restaurants might have to pay 1.5 million dollars just to have their windows open or not blacked out well i read that yeah not a chance no way <laughs> yeah no, no way, way they can tell a restaurant or a real estate holder or yeah. anybody on that strip what they have to do now they could build which i've heard that that's being talked about mm-hmm. they could build Barricade, visual yeah. barricades which they plan on it Right, but they yeah. can't tell they them can, what yeah. to do with their restaurant. Yeah. I mean, that's just certainly wouldn't hold up in court. Yeah, what? aren't these motherfuckers making enough on this event? Mm. Like, is- I know I was going to say they're, they're making so much money, and then you go to Vegas because of what it looks like, and you've put barricades up everywhere, so it looks like a completely different <laughs> place. Like, like, it doesn't make yeah. any sense. That'd be great. Yeah. The whole race is a tunnel. <laughs> it's on the <laughs> tunnel. It's an indoor craft, yeah. fifteen feet walls along the whole side. <laughs> 
I guess that's, are they on the strip? No, I think that's the back straightaway behind Hilton. Is it? They could just paint the inside of the tunnel to look like Caesar's <laughs> yeah. Palace. Yeah, if I were them, I'd be like, oh, no, you have this flipped. You got to pay us because yeah. we're the attraction. Yeah. We're what's cool. That's crazy. Yeah. Um. Two last quick ones. So F1 is now considering removing DRS from qualifying, which would substantially affect Red Bull. I don't know if that's this season because they seem to be changing rules all season with sprint formats and tire things. So that mm. would be very interesting to watch. But still, DRS is in the race. Red Bull still going to destroy everyone you have to be in favor of this jethro i mean it doesn't really matter in qualifying does it if they've all got it then it doesn't matter it's in the race where it can potentially cause slightly mm-hmm. artificial overtaking so it just they're just messing around with it most of these tracks the red bull with drs is significantly faster than everyone else with drs so you could argue that it, it neutralizes some of the advantage of the red bull yeah you could which seems unfair i think if you're gonna the reason I don't necessarily love DRS is when it makes it too easy to pass. Like, I think they need to examine, like I've said before, the length of those zones and where they are. But in qualifying, it seems unfair to penalize one team for having just done a better job than everyone else. That's not really what the sport's meant to be about excellence, isn't it? So I don't necessarily love that. Mm. Okay, mm, well, that, that was counterintuitive. Mm, I, I would have lost that, that bet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought you were just anti-DRS across the board, even in the title of this show. Yeah. <laughs> and particularly in the title. Yeah. Of the show. <laughs> I saw a wonderful interview with Yuki this week. It's the same guy that interviewed Max. And I was saying how Max likes it when people talk about his life and don't ask just about racing. Yeah. I don't know who this guy is, but he does incredible interviews. And he was talking to Yuki and he asked about his hobbies. And it's not necessarily like Max sim racing, it's just video gaming. He likes first mm. shooter type games. And he was like, So, like, how long do you play? He's like, 8 30 till 6 30. 8.30 a.m. till 6.30 p.m. Has a couple snacks. His friend from Japan is on with them the whole time. Oh. He wasn't allowed at home, and now he's, like, living away from his parents, and he's just relishing in this. And the actors are on strike. I don't have a lot of work right now, and I feel him. You do. I am on that <laughs> sim. You're on that council. I haven't logged less than three hours a day. Wow. Since <laughs> I've been freedom. Home. Well, how, much, how much time are you minimum. putting in? I've taken a little time. Okay. Off, but I usually do a race weekend. So I'll do a practice, spend about 25 minutes there, qualify another 20, and then the race about 20. So an hour, 15. A day? No, no, no. Like two or three days a week. Oh, yeah. okay. But me and Charlie, we have, we have headsets now. And that is so fun. Yeah. Because you're talking to each other. You're talking shit. You can talk about all the stuff going on. It's like, I don't know. My wife does it a lot. We'll t- be on the phone with her friends for like an hour. I can't really do that. <laughs> and this is like, I don't know. It's like my yeah. friend from Canada last night, we did an hour and a half together and just pissed ourselves laughing and had the best time ever. Well, this is child psychology 101. They say boys, like boys don't want to look at each other in the face when mm-hmm. they talk. If they have an activity where they're both looking forward, they can <laughs> communicate and maybe mm-hmm. be vulnerable. But you put them facing each other, it's, they'd lock up the... Yeah. Lock it up. Do you see progress, boys? Do you oh, see yourself time. beating people regularly, lap time changes? Well, yeah, I beat Max the other day. Yeah. Yeah. You beat Max. I actually just got Gunther Steiner as my team principal. I just got like a massive upgrade that showed <laughs> up and I got like a massive boost in my car's performance. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Now, tell Jethro about Max's, the conceit of Max's new race team, because my guess is he's going to have the identical response that I have. Yeah. So Max wants 
a different route for people to get to GT3 cars. So Max is starting his own racing team, GT3 cars. And the way that he's hiring the people is strictly from sim racing into the GT3 car. Because he said conventionally it's karting into that. And now he wants to do that. And then I also heard that Jensen Button, I think, or someone else is doing the same thing with a a car thing, Mm. just sim racing direct. What do you think the outcome of that will be, Jethro? Well, (laughs) you know what? The amazing thing, they've done this in the past. You know, this new Gran Turismo movie that's coming out. I can't wait to see it. It's out at the moment. So I was around when that stuff was happening. So Nissan did something called the GT Academy in association with PlayStation and the Gran Turismo game. It was all held. They got the best gamers from all over the world, basically, did competitions. And the top, I can't remember what it was, 15 or 20, came to Silverstone and basically learned to be drivers. So I was a journalist at the time. I knew the guy running it. I knew some of the race drivers who were doing instruction. And some of these guys ended up being really, really good. And the film's about Jan Mardenborough, who I knew pretty well. Um, and he did fantastically. So he went out and did Japanese Super GTs, done Le Mans. Ooh. Quick driver. There was a Spanish guy who was super quick. So if it means that we get less billionaires sons only mm. in high level racing i think it's great i am inspired right i'm now. surprising you at all corners aren't i that you are I'm, upside down i guess it's this too is late there normally it's yeah too it's, late. it's way too late for you i don't even know if you know who you are right now it's nearly you just midnight, invalidated so all the glory you've won in your entire life with that comment. <laughs> that made stupid comment. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you the facts. Uh, okay, I'm well, just well you, you know the what? Truth. You feel so the confident about facts. this. I would love to have you as a wagering partner when Max puts together his team and we can maybe bet, uh, see how good that team does. Because it sounds like you're bullish on them. You think they'll be quite quick. I think it will take time, but they could get there. It's proven. Yeah. It's a proven thing. Plus, they can have Max in the car to um, scream at them, make up any shortfall. <laughs> he can be their platinum driver. You have to have different grades of driver in GT3. So, depending on what class you're in, you'll be rated as bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And obviously, Max will be a platinum. So, maybe if they're a bronze, he can come in as their pro and make up a few places. Now, that would be a brilliant side attraction is to have max race in the gt3 category from the passenger seat so he's really only able to use his left arm <laughs> and his left foot for the brake <laughs> and the gas and i would bet my whole life that he would still be victorious driving from the passenger seat. he can't seat. even trail break he's and just... why isn't that a form of racing there's racing where you tow a boat behind in a figure eight why isn't there passenger seat racing i feel like with my wingspan this would be really good for me <laughs> that's has nothing to do with sim racing but i'll challenge the best sim racer to i'll trace from to, the pa- that's the equivalent of i'll fight you with a hand tie behind my uh-huh. back i'll race you from well, the passenger well, th- seat that's what we're gonna have to do dax i'm just gonna sim race for the next year and then we're both gonna get in an equivalent car and we're gonna see what happens oh yeah we're, we will do you want to bet now or in a year <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll bet now. i can see where that one's going <laughs> I wish you all the luck in the world. I think it would be great if you picked up all the skills required. I can't make that bet because if I make that bet, I will be 10 hours a day in that fucking thing. To me, that's like saying if you learn to drift in a video game that you could go out and fucking drift through a drift course. Oh, but I saw a video of a guy doing that. It was his first time in a car and he went around with a professional for like 
to show him kind of the things like slow. Yeah. And then his second lap, he went in there and drifted like a madman. Like the force feedback on these wheels gives you somewhat. And ours are like a cheap, the best cheap wheel you well, can also, get. Also, they're not playing the, the video game. The best cheap wheel you can get. Yeah. That should be the ad line. On the <laughs> well, it is. That's what it says. It's a Logitech G923, which is the, but then you're, it's like 300 bucks, but then you start to go up to like, Thousands. The thousands, which yeah. I'm already looking at, but I just can't pull the trigger. On. <laughs> yeah, I need a room for. Well, you this. also have to calculate how much work loss results from. It's not just the price of the steering wheel; it's you're also going to lose a ton of money from not working. Well, my work schedule allows it, it for now. Yeah, but wait till you're super addicted in your max, and you're staying up too late. Just wait until until Mac gets that giant F1 contract, though. Yeah. Make up for all that lost That's work. That's true. If he becomes the <laughs> second driver at Audi next to Carlos. I will lose a friend and then his Dax if I get in from sim racing. No, I will cheer. I'll be your biggest fan. Okay. Uh, hit us with a zaddy, Jethro. If I mean, I can only okay. imagine now. You're probably going to tell us about the son of somebody. <laughs> That you're so upside down right now. <laughs> Fucking keep DRS and qualifying. What? Can I tell, what are you talking can, can about? I, can, can I tell you about uh, a mum? What would we call a mum? Uh, oh, uh, a mummy. Uh, a zombie. A zoomie. A zoomie. It's, it's, <laughs> a zaddy and a zoomie. Um, okay, so Alex Albon. <gasps> okay. And his family. So, father, Nigel Albon. And he is almost in possible to find much background on other than he was a racing driver the most generic term of all time so but he was not a high level guy as in going up through the formulas he i think basically was a car dealer into cars raced renault clios which are like the smallest little hatchbacks that you would never have in america like a miata um, class basically it's front wheel drive little hatchbacks so like a shopping car like um that suzuki swift thing that um that Rob had on Top Gear when we crashed into him in the in, yeah. in the junkyard. Yeah. So that level car. The price of Matt's cheap steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then he went up to British Touring Cars, which is, again, Saloon Cars 94. He finished 30th out of 33 drivers. Best result of 12th at Brands Hatch, legendary circuit that held F1 races back in the day. But he was a privateer, so he wasn't one of the big boys. He also raced in um, FIA GT Championship and later Porsche Carrera Cup Asia Series and did all right. He came fourth in the championship. So he owned a dealership, Jethro? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, he had a car dealership business called the NA Carriage Company, Nigel Albon, obviously, mm. Carriage Company, which his wife became company secretary of in 93. Mm -hmm. They obviously went through some personal things, got divorced, and she took over that business in 2004. Now, his mum is Kankamol Albon, known as Minky. Tyborn, businesswoman, took over this NA Carriage Company. And on the face of it, appeared to make a huge success of the firm, enough to buy a house called Smallbridge Hall in Suffolk, which is in the east of England. Your house has to be a certain size to get a name, right, in England? I mean... Okay, so it was rebuilt into a large red brick manor house in 1555 to 1561 by Sir William Walgrave. It's surrounded by a moat oh. and entertained Queen Elizabeth... <gasps> who was said to have partaken of meat and ale mm. in 1578. I hope her gout wasn't triggered. <laughs> so this is a bad boy manor house. Anyway, so <laughs> I just wanted to get some Queen Elizabeth shit in there. 
So the business was effectively a high-end car sourcing business, but Minky used the phenomena of supercars and rare cars appreciating, as in you buy the car and then flip it for a load more money three months later or a week later or whatever. And she promised clients she could source cars like Bugattis, Ferraris, etc., and they would be able to make an immediate profit. Mm Mm-hmm. But in fact, it was basically a Ponzi scheme. So <gasps> Alex Albon's mum was running a Ponzi scheme. No. The clients never saw the cars or the profit. And effectively, she was investigated and arrested <gasps> for this fraudulent Ooh. car dealership business. This is sexy. It really is. Yeah, it's pretty is. cool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like Ma Nod Sheila or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while she was on bail for fraud to the tune of 7.5 million pounds, which I guess would be like 9 million bucks or something. She was also found to be committing tax fraud. Mm. So she not only was defrauding these people, she was defrauding the British government by claiming to have sold cars abroad and then claiming back the sales tax or VAT on those cars. So she claimed 1.8 million pounds from customs and (laughs) revenue in the UK from the inland revenue. Good for her. So she got arrested basically in 2008 and she was sentenced to six years in prison in 2012. Wow. It's quite a story, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. How old was he at that point? So he was still in world karting at that point because he was supported by Red Bull in his early days Mm. and finished second in the world championship to De Vries in 2011. So he was still pretty kid. But in 2012, the same year she was imprisoned, he was promoted to the Red Bull junior team. But imagine this, this is bad time. So his mom was put in prison for six years. She was actually released after three. But in the same year that happened, he was promoted to the Red Bull junior team but then dropped after a single season, having failed to score a single point in European Formula Renault 2.0. So, What a year for him. He's been through it. But he kept his head, uh, kept racing, was successful in Euro F3 in 2015. GP3 finished runner-up to Leclerc in 2016. This is all going on while his mum's obviously in prison. And then he was signed up. What a reprieve for him. He was signed up for Formula E before getting the call. So he was going to race in Formula E, and then he got a call from Toro Rosso to come and race for Red Bull, just as he was to do that. So that he effectively got lucky, got out of Formula E, and got into Formula 1. How ironic, losing to DeVries, DeVries goes to Formula E. Yeah. Look how it all shakes out. And now he's at Williams, and, you know, who knows, he might end up getting signed up by Red Bull for the second or third time, because he was with Red Bull in karting, then Red Bull in... Formula Renault before getting dropped, and then who knows, he maybe get there again. But yeah, so his mum, Minky, is... Wild child. Yeah, pretty wild. There's a brilliant quote. So she was arrested in 2008, sentenced to six years. The judge described her crimes as massive greed-driven fraud. Mm. I mean, what other sort of fraud is there? (laughs) Benevolent fraud. I mean, yeah. Generous and benevolent fraud. Like, I guess Robin Hood is the other version. (laughs) She's got her son in this expensive sport. She's trying to figure out how to make Mm. it work. She's She's a mama bear. She's making moves. She's making money. Yeah. And getting her son through this. And even though it kind of shifted later, but like when she gets arrested, he gets signed. It's got to be the ultimate like... Fuck yeah, I did it. I got him there. I got him there. Now, now I can go yeah. sit in jail for three years. I got him there. That's right. It's a little benevolent. A case for the defense. Yeah. Well, I've only met a few F1 drivers who actually chatted with him, but boy, is he a sweet 
fucking guy and he's the most loved by all the drivers the fact that this is his background is kind of shocking because he's got such a beautiful attitude yeah. yeah it's amazing and i think he's still really close with his mom talks about it as being obviously the worst period of his life but i think he probably feels the same that she was doing it in order to help get him where he got to today well it did yeah. answer the question i thought when you said that she took over for the divorced husband and turned it into a, a, a raving success i thought well what was her proprietary approach fraud that makes sense <laughs> I, I thought how could the dad have been doing such a shitty job that the mom came in and he was actually it? trying to sell cars and that was his main main problem i mean he was doing all right if he was racing in porsche carrera that's true that's true but even so yeah i thought that was a pretty amazing story that is and uh I think he's great. He's doing brilliantly and he's he's got a proper colorful background. So fair play to uh, Mr. Albon. Whenever we've seen him at races down, he's always smiling, having a great time chatting with everyone. I mean, yeah. he seems like a great, great dude. Yeah, very laid back, very chill. Now, did you get lucky and just stumble upon that? Or did you snoop around a few zaddies and went, oh, no, no, here's where the money is? I think I looked around a few, but I'd known, I th I'm pretty sure maybe in an early drive to survive, there was some sort of inference that something was going on with uh, Albon's mum. Oh. So I, I knew there was something going on in the background. And when I looked into it, yeah, it just seemed, yeah, too good. I mean, I could get the Queen in there. I could get in Smallbridge Hall in Suffolk. Mm -hmm. I could get in Fraud, Inland Revenue. I mean, it's pretty good. You got a Lord in not, there, whoever built the yeah, first. and a moat. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a moat, Sir William Walgrave. It's not quite Logan Sargent, but I felt it was it was strong and it had a good English connection, so I was in. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Okay, well, next week we will be back. We'll do some more gossip. We'll do some, and God knows what what's going to be on our plate mm. next week. This stuff's moving so fast. Yes. Every time I open up Instagram, there's some other bomb being dropped. And we will have uh, Gunter Steiner following this immediately. Stick around for that. And then we'll be back next week for more fun. And until then, I encourage everyone to push, 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 push. Stay tuned for more F1 with DRS. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, welcome. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Where are you today? You're in front of an incredible old photo of some kind of Formula One race. Yeah, a meeting room in uh, Haas F1 in Canapolis, North Carolina. I'm back in home. You're home in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're in North Carolina. I think I drove roughly through where you're from last year. I went to the Austrian Grand Prix. And then I drove from there to Verona, Italy, and I drove through the Dolomites. I must have been pretty close to where you're from, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. And uh, you drove to the east part of the region. I live in the west part, which is uh, it's not a big region anyway, but uh, the closest you got to me is about 25 k's, 20 miles. Yeah. Okay, so what has been a great mystery to me since I've been exposed to you on Drive to Survive is your accent sounds so German. And in fact, it wasn't till I saw you 
with Mattia driving around that I realized, oh, you're Italian. But then today I learned 63% of that region speaks German as the first language. Did you grow up speaking German as the first language? Yes, uh, uh, you, you can choose if you want to go to German speaking school or Italian speaking, but the majority of the population in that region uh, is German speaking, you know, mother tongue is German, you know, and then as a second language here, you learn Italian, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a city and in the city you speak both languages normally if you grow up uh, at my age, you know. Older people, some don't speak Italian at all, and a lot of Italians don't speak German at all, even young people, because it, it is just because we are a minority, and then obviously people tend to go with majority, so they speak Italian, because I would say now all the young uh, German heritage-speaking people like me with a German name, they speak Italian. I don't know many which don't speak Italian anymore, but the uh, in, in the old days, I mean, 30, 40 years ago, there was a lot of people which didn't speak Italian, even if they were Italian citizens. And von hast du dein Geburtstag? Mein Geburtstag, 7. April. Okay. I don't, tell you, I don't tell you the year, because otherwise you say I'm old. I know the year, 1965. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dad was a butcher, yeah? This must have been a pretty yeah. modest upbringing, I'd imagine. How did you get turned on to motorsports? Were you watching it on TV? Or how did you get obsessed? Yeah, I watched it on TV and I always was interested in cars. I don't know where it comes from. And uh, you drove to the region. There is uh, Now there is no motorsport allowed by law, uh, no racing. And at the time when I was a kid, there was one race. It was a hill climb, pretty famous one, you, you know, a tough one, a hill climb race. Uh, and uh, that was the only race there. But I watched it on TV. Uh, you know, in the 70s, there was quite a good era in Formula One. Uh, uh, rallying was very popular, obviously not on TV, that is, was more in writing, but I always liked cars and anything to do with cars. No history of family there. Uh, you know, my, my family, I mean, uh, in that area, either you ski, you play ice hockey, or you do some winter sport, but yeah. not really any motorsport. So I just got hooked to motorsport. No idea where it came from. Did you subscribe to car magazines and read everything you could? And Absolutely. I mean, I always uh, bought... Uh, 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 like we did in the old days, we couldn't wait until uh, Autosprint is a, it's like Autosport in England, Autosprint is in Italy. Couldn't wait until that comes out yeah. and uh, read all what I could. Automotor and Sport, a, a German publication, which is still around as well. You know, very, uh, and you know, that's what he did in, the, in, in that era. You realize that you came of age in the very shittiest period. I'm from Detroit, you need to know. Uh, you you were a teenager at the fucking worst time to love cars. I mean, from 72 to 89, the horsepower drops, the efficiency drops, the top speed drops, the quarter mile, everything sucks. It's shocking we fell in love with it. Yeah, uh, but I think that was, I mean, for me reading, uh, that was more in the States. Obviously, in Europe, there was also the, 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 the fuel crisis, but I, I think it was a lot more here uh, because of the pollution of, the, uh, of, obviously, the fuel crisis. So, but, but, you know, I always think when you're young or a kid, this thing has less impact on you because you just love what you're doing. Yeah. You couldn't care less about what happens around in the world and why would, would this be affected? I still like what I like, you know, that was what it was. So obviously you are right, it, it was a crisis, but uh, everything else moved on. And I think, uh, you know, when you're young, you just always look forward. You, ah, the, the, this is not going like it was, who cares? Yeah, but- We go, it, we keep on going, yeah. But here's my point. Have you ever been driving down the road in North Carolina and you're next to a Dodge Caravan and you realize, oh, wow, the Dodge Caravan- <laughs> 
It makes 300 horsepower. The 84 Corvette made 200. The 911 84 made 190. Like these shitty Ford Focus, you could drive at 125 miles an hour. It's not going to blow up. Like it's staggering how much it's evolved since we were into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, as you say, in them days, a car with 300 horsepower was a mega, I mean, Countach. it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that was V8, V12, whatever, you know. And now a four-cylinder with uh, a turbocharger makes 400 easily, you know, two liter. So, you know, it's times, you know. Uh, yeah. We cannot stop anything, you know. Yeah, I think, I think we got lucky enough to see the absolute apex. And then I think we're going to, you know, sadly transition to electric and we'll, we'll be looking back 25 years from now going like yeah we used to have these thousand horsepower motors you could buy from dodge <laughs> but 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 i think electric they will have the horsepower they will have the torque whatever you want to say but i think what we will miss is it's just like obviously we, we will not miss the pollution we have to say that one yeah uh, but uh, but the, the the emotion of a uh, of a uh, combustion engine it is something different in my opinion than an ev uh, and you know i, I, I mean I think EV has got its place, but I'm also in the opinion that EV is not the ultimate solution yeah. to, uh, 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 to moving around. I agree. It's funny, though. Don't you think if you asked you and I 15 years ago, what makes the automobile so exciting? And you would go, oh, the acceleration, the G-forces and turning, the this, the that. We would have probably said the sound like fifth. And now if you've gotten in a Tesla and gone zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds and you're like, eh, who cares? I feel like it was on a, a amusement park ride. You realize, oh, my God, the sound is almost the entire experience. Yeah, it, it's a dimension. I think it's one of these things, what, what you need, what, what you put together with, uh, uh, with acceleration, as you say, for example. It's like an electric, an EV goes faster than a combustion engine because there's no gears and nothing, you know, it's just like acceleration and the torque is immediately there. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, the emotion is a little bit missing. Yeah. You go zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds. You're like, yeah, okay. I don't think I want to yeah, do that yeah, again. Now, yeah. <laughs> what else? Yeah. But you do it in the turbo 911 2.8 yeah. and you're like, God, oh, fuck me. That was insane. Well, that was cool. Let's yeah. do that, that cool, 10 yeah. more times <laughs> in a row. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess I feel similar to you in that I'm from Detroit. My family was in the automotive industry. And so I get interviewed sometimes and they say, you know, when did you know you wanted to be an actor? And I'm like, no one was going to be an actor in fucking Detroit. No, I didn't meet an actor. I never met anyone that made a living doing it. You know, it's kind of nuts. I just had to come to California. But I would say similar to you, it's preposterous you're going to get into the automotive space. It makes no sense. No, it makes no sense. And, and I don't know if it is the same for you, but uh, I didn't even dream of uh, going uh, work in racing. I mean, I, I went to do an apprenticeship as a mechanic because I like cars. I like to, to work on them, you know. Uh, and then uh, I, I didn't think that I get even the chance. But, you know, not even thinking. It's not like that I stayed up at night and I say, how could I get the chance? I wasn't even thinking about it. I was in a good place. Yeah. I, I liked where I was. And then uh, how did you get into acting? I moved to California to, I mean, I wanted to do comedy and then I got here and I was going to do stand up and I said, oh, I like this sketch comedy thing. Oh, acting's fun. Maybe I'll do this. You know, I met some people who made money at it. Oh, how'd that happen? You know, I, you have to meet people to figure out how to do it. And it's hard to do in a place like Northern Italy 
or in Detroit if you want yeah, to Yeah, no, no. I, and then for, what was very similar to me, I mean, I read an artwork in, in one of these magazines, which I said before, I wrote a letter. At the time, there was obviously no email, got a response, went for an interview, they accepted me. I can imagine how bad the other candidates were that they accepted me, you know. So, uh, uh, and, and just started to work there. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. And then, as you say, once you are also in motorsport, in the business, you get to know people and you just uh, move along, you know. You, you, you move on to bigger and better things all the time. Yeah. So you started as an engineering student, but you left that early. You go to Belgium to start working at a rally team as a mechanic. And then... You move quite quickly. I, I, I mean, I don't know enough about that that world, but it seems that you moved quite quickly from apprentice mechanic to being a technical director and all these different facets you've held. It seems like you moved pretty quickly. What, what do you think allowed that to happen? What was your, your unique, were you just driven? Were you personable? What do you think had people trusting you more and more with these bigger responsibilities? I think it was a combination of it, but in the end, I think it was, I was driven. I always wanted uh, every job I do, I want to do a good job, you know, and I don't have to tell it to myself. I just do that. I mean, whatever I do, I try to do the best I can. You know, I never, I never leave anything behind. I say, this is what I want to do and I, or how, how good I want to be. And obviously it, it was sometimes better uh, than other people because uh, I don't think I applied for any of the jobs after my first one, I always got into the next job somehow because I knew somebody, somebody was looking for me and things like this. It, it, it was like just natural. But but once you get in motorsport and when I started, it was a lot smaller. The, the, the industry is still not big, I would call it, but it was a lot smaller than it is now. So people, if somebody, they needed somebody who had a little bit of talent, they, they, they oh, let's try this guy. And I think what I had as, uh, as an advantage, I spoke fluent German and Italian. And I learned to speak English when I was in Belgium. I didn't speak a word when I got to Belgium. Oh, wow. I, I, I just learned it there. So you, you, in that days, you still had an advantage when you spoke languages, especially in Italy when you spoke, if you spoke English. Yeah. So uh, it's it just like moved from one place to the next uh, just by, okay. And every time I made a step in a higher position and look where I ended up. No, I know. It's preposterous. Um <laughs> yeah, you go from um, assistant team manager. Well, let's say you, you go from engineering to your mechanic at Mazda. Then you become an assistant team manager at Top Run, technical manager at Jolly Club. And then it just increases from there. My question is, which of those positions do you think? And I'll use Steve Jobs as an example, right? People will say, oh, Steve Jobs wasn't a programmer. He's not a real computer guy, but he was tech savvy. He was a generalist and he was creative. And so all these things worked together for him. How good of a mechanic were you versus how good were you as a manager? I would say uh, I was not a bad mechanic. Was I the best? Maybe not. There was people which were better uh, than me as a mechanic. I, I wasn't bad, you know. But uh, as a manager, uh, when it got difficult, I always found a solution. When I went around with the, with the rally team, with Jolly Club in the World Championship, and I was in charge of a few people, and at the time, you couldn't call anybody up. You had no cell phone. You couldn't uh, send an email or you couldn't send uh, a text. You know, you had to send a fax in the evening in the hotel, but sometimes it was too late. But if there was something which happened, I always was able to find solution to it. And I think that teach me when I started to set up programs or, or, or companies, you know, uh, just always, there's never anything which could stop me you know, to do something. I never gave up, you know. Yeah. And, but it, it was just like, 
that, that was my way of life. Oh, there is a problem. Let's get to find a solution, you know. Uh, stay calm, find a solution and move on. So, uh, and uh, people know that and people like that. I like that when people work for me. If they are not coming to me, if they've got a little problem, it's like, dude, I mean, it, you know, you need to think on your own thing, <laughs> yes, you know, not, not always yeah. come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, th 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 that's, what I, that's what I think where I'm best at, just to find solutions to, to issues all the time. Okay. Well, two things I'm going to guess at. I'm now psychoanalyzing you. One, if you're really good in stressful situations, which you have to be, if you're in racing in a managerial capacity, you have to be good at managing stress. Most often people that are great at managing stress came from some fucking chaos. So one, I'm curious if you came from chaos. And then two, I think what makes you, from what I can tell about you, a good leader is that you have a lot of respect for the people that work under you and you treat everyone with a lot of respect and you're very open, which also makes me think your dad must have treated you with respect. So these are conflicting. These are my armchair theories. But tell me, was childhood a little chaotic? Did you get good at that through some kind of childhood stuff? No, childhood, actually, it was pretty normal. You know, my, my, my parents worked. Obviously, I had to... Uh, I, I was, uh, I wouldn't say self-sufficient early because my, my, my family, they worked a lot and I was at home sometimes alone or with my sister, but it was not chaotic. It was pretty calm, but I, I think where I learned a lot is, and I wouldn't call it chaotic, what, what I said before, a lot of stuff in the old days in rallying, you're out in the world, you're somewhere in Portugal, you're somewhere in Africa, you have to do it yourself. And I think that is something similar to chaotic. It wasn't organized, you know. You were giving a, a bag of cash money. You had to find out yourself where to exchange it in the local currency yeah. at the time because we didn't have credit cards, you know. Uh, you needed to, to watch the money that nobody stole it. You needed to bring back how you spent the money. You couldn't keep it, put it in your pocket. You needed <laughs> yeah. a receipt. Yeah. So you need to, you, but uh, th there was not like this days. So you get uh, an instruction for everything. I mean, you got uh, some money, uh, a van, uh, a test car, a recce car, and another guy, off you go. And they were pretty happy if they didn't hear from you. You know, nobody was checking on you. No news were good news. Yeah, you yeah, know? they didn't want to hear from you. Exactly, they didn't want to hear. And, 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 and that is what makes you calm, you know, because there is nothing, there is things where everybody gets nervous, but there's not a lot which makes me uh, uh, nervous. And your second question, respect is not only the people which work for me. In general, I respect people, you know. If somebody is 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 respectful to me, they will have my full respect. But on the opposite side, if somebody, call it, is a dick with me, I can be a dick pretty well. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Uh, it's good, but, but that is noble. I think that everybody should be the same. I mean, it's no point to be disrespectful of anybody if, if he respects you. Okay, so if I understand it correctly, you basically end up working with Ford's rally team. Crazy enough, Carlos Sainz is one of the drivers at that time. Did you have a relationship with him during that period? Did you guys interface a lot? Yeah, I actually knew Carlos from before when he drove the Lancia. That year, I was his mechanic. I spent in one year 200 days with the guy. I mean, it could be 190, could be 210. I didn't count them. But yeah. the majority of the year, because uh, I, I, I was his... I was his boy, basically, you know. Uh, I did all the recce's, all the tests, and all the races with him. And then when I went to Ford afterwards, or uh, 10 years later, he drove for us as a driver, you know. So I know Carlos very well, and I still have got a good relationship. The last time I talked with him, he called me up on Sunday night in the airport, you know, yeah. after the race. 
because we have got a good relationship. But, uh, and and I, uh, we had a coffee together uh, on Sunday morning, I think, in the hospitality. He came to see me on Saturday. I don't remember. But Are you enamored with him as the rest of us are? Uh, just his boldness? Did, were, when you were a young mechanic and you're watching this fearless gladiator manhandle that car, were you, were you romantically sucked up into it? No, he made me work so hard I couldn't love him anymore. Okay. I mean, you hated him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You hope he I hit a tree. Say, but yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. Uh, but I have a lot of respect from Carlos. I mean, Carlos for me is one of the guys which I learned a lot in my career. How hard work takes you somewhere because Carlos will never stop working. And I mean, you can see it now. He's over 60 years old and still a contender to win Paris-Dakar. Uh, it's know? nuts, yeah. Uh, he beat Alonso like three years ago, right? Yeah, Yeah. no, he's very good. I mean, the guy is, the guy is good, yeah. He's a beast. So you go from, you're, you're working with Ford World Rally Team, which then transitions amazingly into you working in Formula One with Jaguar, yeah? Yeah. At that point, was Formula One even in your sights? Is it something you thought you would ever enter or did it seem so different and separate from rally that it wasn't even in your fantasy? No, I, I liked Formula One, but it was not my uh, my dream. You know, it was not my ambition to go there. I was very happy where I was. You know, I I, I, I thought I achieved quite a lot. You know, yeah. I had uh, very good relationships uh, in, in, in the environment I worked. I was well respected, you know. So I didn't look for something. I didn't look to go to F1, to be honest. You know, it just it just happened like a lot of things in my life happen. Yeah. So you're at Jaguar when Red Bull buys it, and then you have a position at Red Bull, and then you're moved over to North Carolina, where you're still at, right, to work with Red Bull's NASCAR team. And I, go ahead, do you want to correct me? Yeah, I want to correct you. <laughs> yeah, correct you me. <laughs> Now, uh, uh, no, uh, Jaguar, I left Jaguar uh, when, uh, when Nicky Lauda was let go. I had an offer to stay there, but I didn't want to stay there. They so brought you back. They I'm brought sorry. me back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they brought me back. Yeah. Just to, yeah. yeah, yeah. What I want to point out is that you, within the span of, I guess, four years, you go from rally, which is a very specific culture, to F1, which is a totally bizarre and unique culture, to NASCAR, which is probably on the opposite end of the spectrum as Formula One for the culture. Were you getting whiplash bouncing through all these places or were you just enjoying how unique and novel everything was? Uh, uh, more the second. Uh, and in the middle, I did one year in DTM. You know DTM, the, the German Touring Car Championship. Oh. I did one year there for Opel as a technical director. Yeah, in between, you know, just squashed <laughs> in between. Yeah, yeah. But, but it was all good new experiences. And in life, I mean, there is not many people which had the opportunity to do this. And as you say, when you think now back, when you do it, you don't really, or I didn't realize, maybe somebody else would realize, I didn't uh, actually realize what was happening. But as you say, you change so much around and so different disciplines, uh, uh, change country. I mean, when I worked at ETM, I was in Germany, then I went back to England, then I came to the States. But uh, it, it, if I think back now, it's it's a fantastic experience to make in life, to be able to make, you know? Yeah, to change your point of view so drastically. But let's just say, Formula One, the origin is super rich dudes. NASCAR's bootleggers, outlaws, rednecks, hillbillies. F1's unlimited money. NASCAR's tight. F1, everything's bespoke. Design anything. Cheat any way you can within the rules. NASCAR's a lot of spec items. I mean, it's just fucking opposite. It couldn't be more opposite. One's like blue collar, perhaps blue ribbon. The other one is Monaco. What? So 
Weirdly, I think you fit way more in the NASCAR world. <laughs> yeah, uh, that for maybe I went back this year to do a race uh, for Fox as a guest commentator. I saw you. Know, you. Yeah, was that Austin yeah. maybe? Yeah, Austin. Yeah, yeah. but but that for that is the reason I I, I like uh, I live here now in the states since this year it's 17 years because uh, uh, after after I left NASCAR uh, after I left Red Bull and NASCAR I had the opportunity to go back to Europe to do a job but. I, I like the life here. I mean, I like it here. It's uh, it, it, and for an American, uh, uh, it's maybe not understandable. Life is easier here. You know, it, it's just and people ask me in Europe, why do you stay in the states? I said, life is is first of all, it's it's very good here. I enjoy it. Yeah. I because otherwise I would move back. But it's everything is easier. What do you mean? But everything is easier. I mean, start with finding a parking space. It's much easier than in Europe. You know. Uh, you can have a, a big car, yeah. uh, uh, you know. Where if, uh, you well, you can tell I have a 45-foot bus I drive around. No one gives a shit. Every time I'm in Europe, I think where, I couldn't drive my bus anywhere through here. <laughs> no, exactly. You yeah. cannot do it. I mean, it's just it's just a good life here. I think and I enjoy it here, you know. Especially if you like toys. Do you like toys? Yeah. Do you got boats or motorcycles or anything? No, no, I've not. I've got uh, I got a jet ski. There we uh, go. I've got the boat. Yeah, I've got the boat, but I, I didn't have it in the water for 10 years because I, I haven't <laughs> got time to, to go with that because it's a wooden boat, you know. So, I, I, you know, it takes a long time to set everything up. So yeah. it's just too hard work. So uh, and when I am back, I'm normally this tired that I just want to be, uh, be left in peace, you know, yeah. nothing else. <laughs> I hope you go drink a beer and stare at the boat or something. That's also, that counts as having a boat. You just stare <laughs> yeah, at it out exactly, of the water yeah. on the trailer. That's a cheaper way to have a boat. Oh, yeah. Look at that. No, the best <laughs> boat is uh, a friend with a boat. That's the best yeah, boat. Exactly. <laughs> Same with yeah. a truck. How did you have to shift your mindset from the F1 to the NASCAR? Because again, I'm kind of, it doesn't seem like you could just transplant that skill set. One is like, how can we get one extra leg up? You're at Red Bull, sky's the limit. What do you want to do? NASCAR is so confined. How did you find competitive edge in such a standardized motorsport? I think in the beginning, when you come in from F1, as you say, yeah, uh, and you think you come from the ultimate motorsport, but uh, it is the ultimate motorsport, but it's it's not better or worse than NASCAR. It's just different, you yeah. know? So the first thing I, I what, what, what you come in and you think you're from F1 and you know everything, you know, we are, you're greater than great. So I get in, greater than great. After a month or two, I realized I'm actually not greater than great. These people are not stupid. They are pretty smart in what they're doing. So I said, I, 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 I need to watch these people, how they do things, because uh, just coming in and having a, an F1 approach will not work because it's a different culture, you know, and very few people can change a culture because that, that is why it is a culture, because it came over a long period of time. And to change it, it will take a long period of time if people want to change. So I think they had no reason to change because they were doing pretty well where they were at, you know, in their life, in uh, or how they made their money and all that. So I said, watch them and learn out of that and then try to install something in the team which they in the moment don't have, but they need to want it. I cannot force them. They need. I need to explain how how we do things and then we do it. And I think now looking back, nobody will remember, but in the years when I came, the engineering teams in NASCAR were, I would say, very small and not with any power. They were just like, do this calculation, sort me this out. They were not in the forefront. I mean, it was all driven by, by the blue collars, you know? And now I think they changed that. Well, Gunter, I've sat on the pit wall and watched during a race the amount of computing that's happening, the amount of people analyzing telemetry. And then I sat last year at Bristol 
in the box behind the guys that were running everything. And it was one laptop <laughs> and they barely looked at it. They had lap times on it. And I thought, oh my God, it's, it's staggering the tech difference. I'm curious, car development wise, what did you think I, I can focus on and we can be better within these rules? We used a lot more the wind tunnel at Red Bull. You know, we've introduced a model, a wind tunnel model program, you know, where we run a model. Uh, and then at the time, there, there, there was not wind share, the big wind tunnel, which is here now in North Carolina. So we actually sent a car to Italy to put it in a full-scale wind tunnel. Yeah, uh, we, we, yeah we, we did quite a lot also simulation tools we developed. And one of the simulation tools, uh, because we did, developed it with a, uh, outside company. It's now, uh, I think half of the team in NASCAR use it now because it's commercial available now. You know, this is the things I think we brought in here, you know, and uh, uh, actually the, the, the technical director of NASCAR now, uh, he was the technical director at Red Bull uh, uh, with me, you know, yeah. uh, uh, he worked for me, you know, so he made it to, uh, uh, to be the technical director of NASCAR in general. So it's just bringing in a little more science uh, to NASCAR with it. Within the parameters of this chassis. Exactly. So yeah, your, your skin, you've probably free to do some aero stuff that may be... Uh, absolutely. At the time, it was freer, a lot freer than it's now, because now with the, with the latest car, you cannot do anything on a NASCAR anymore since last year, I think the new car got, in, yeah, last year it got introduced. Uh -huh. So you cannot change anything anymore. But at the time, you could still, you had still freedom to, to tweak the, uh, uh, the body. So the budget of the Formula One Red Bull team, maybe not when you left, but certainly it got there is like in the 500 million range. What was the budget for the NASCAR team? I think it was about uh, 80 million at the time. 80? 80, yeah, for the whole season, for two cars, yeah. So a lot of money, but probably one-fourth of what you were coming from. Yeah, uh, but, but also the, the, the costs were a lot lower because it's, a, it's lower tech. Uh, uh, and also transport-wise, uh, uh, everything is, uh, is shipped by, by road. You know, you've got your truck and they drive there. Personnel, you've got less. And uh, uh, the rules give you less uh, possibility to do things, but... I think also NASCAR is a little bit self-regulating how much the teams put money into the sport. I mean, in NASCAR, if you, if you want, you could put 200 million in, but the gains would be very little because the, the rules are a lot uh, uh, stronger, you know. So nobody is going to waste 100 million just trying to do something which it, in the end you have no upside, you know. You're not making this much more money. You can never earn the money back, to be honest. Okay, so... Now, here's a, here's a hard question. I think of it often. Part of me thinks, well, I want an equal playing field, right? I want the best driver to win races. That seems cool. That's in theory. Then I see in practice, I see the difference between Formula One and both Indy and NASCAR. And my frustration with NASCAR is like, I might be seeing a guy lead the race for 180 laps. And then the guy doesn't have a mechanical issue. He doesn't crash and he finishes like last place. I'm like, well, why was I even fucking watching this guy lead this race? That becomes my complaint. Having been in both worlds, what do you think is the value? There's something I like about knowing, oh, Max was an underdog two years ago. Lewis is supposed to win. Uh, this is dynamic. You know, how would you compare the two? I, I think uh, uh, what, what is called spec racing, what you described, is it, it, like, if you see the upside, it's the opportunity, as you just said, anybody can win. But in the end, you have to ask you, should it be possible that anybody wins just because of luck? It's cool if you do it once. Right. You know, but, but if it is standard. That but half the races? You can get lucky. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, all the races, it gets all pretty quick, you know, that for spec racing, and, and it creates good racing sometimes, but I mean, there is still some work to put in in the setup and things like this, but I think where Formula One, and now I think it's unique because there is no balance of performance, it's, uh, you know, who does the best job? is going to win. But now, without the Budget Cup, I think uh, F1 would be, I wouldn't say dying, I think it would be struggling because you can buy the performance. But now with the Budget Cup, good people will make good cars and then experience will count, the drivers will count. And what you create for the, for, for, for the spectator, and I think that for F1 attracts so many people to watch it because there is so much going on. If, if you go to the other racing, but I'm not, I'm not just saying uh, do IndyCar or NASCAR, I, in general racing, there is the race, we have a result, then there is a lot of nothing, then we have the next race. While in F1, you get all the, uh, you get a little bit of soap opera. Oh, you get uh, mostly uh, soap yeah, opera, I love it. You're one of the lead, <laughs> you're one of the lead actors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you get technology. I mean, you know, oh, the, the development, yeah. this cast, th there's a sophistication which is not there. No, it's a technological marvel. You're like, you're witnessing yes, exactly. NASA launch a thing. It's like, it's it's just impressive on an engineering level. And then you got the racing, which you are there for then at, at, at the weekend for three days. You get interesting results. You speculate who will be strong at this track. So I think it has got so many things which people interest. And that for, I think it's, it's so successful. And I think, I mean, like uh, Drive to Survive has shown to people, which before just saw another racing series, what actually is going on behind the scenes and how much effort goes in to go racing, which is amazing. Yeah, and, and it's too simple to say it's just money. Money's huge, but there's not a big money difference between Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull, at least to my knowledge. And yet you see three dramatically different outcomes with pretty unlimited budgets. Yeah, uh, I mean, now the, the cars, they've got a, a budget cut because it, it was not sustainable anymore. Yeah, but you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're not paying, the, Adrian Newey's not in your budget cap. Exactly. There is not, Max Verstappen's not in your budget. Exactly. You, you got things outside of the budget cap where you still can take your advantage points if you have got more money. So the people which are actually good in creating money or finding money or wanting to spend money, they still have got possibility to do it, but it's not outrageous because uh, uh, some of the smaller teams, I mean, in 2018, we were for sure the smallest team with the smallest budget. We, we came fifth, you yeah, know? Yeah. It is still possible to do. And it was not luck we had. We were working good. And we will get back to where we were then uh, uh, at some stage, you know? We will not take an another few years, but we will get back there, so. And you can shit the bed with a lot of money. You can be McLaren and just, uh, who gives a fuck? It's not yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, just keep on putting money at that and uh, uh, not having a result, you know. Yeah. So, uh, absolutely, you know. But but back to the other racing series, that I think that is what is different to them in F1, that we just create so much interesting things. Yeah. You, you, you can call it soap opera, drama, uh, uh, but it, it, people are interested in. Yeah. And that's why they come and watch the race because the end product is the race. Okay, great. That brings me to... Something you must have thoughts on, and you're such a huge part of this crazy evolution. I'm here talking to you because of Drive to Survive. You know, that that's what exposed to me what an incredible thing this is and what an endeavor it is. And then the characters, meeting the characters, you being one of the main, you and Daniel Ricardo. I'm like, wait, look at these two weirdos. I got to follow whatever they're doing. The show has... I read different accounts. Let's just say minimally, it's up 40% from 19. It's probably in the States. I know I was in Austin and they had 
390,000 spectators two years ago. The year before, they had 90,000. So you've watched this explosion in interest in the sport. Do you like it? And what's the downside of it? I, I like it because, I, I, I mean, uh, I think uh, knowing that we do something which people like, you cannot not like that. Yeah. Because in the end, going to race for yourself, what satisfaction is this? You know, in the end, we, we put a spectacle on, you know. Uh, and uh, It's entertainment, whether someone wants to admit it or not. It's a show. It's a show. It's the same. Like I would like uh, ask you, oh, you made a, a movie and uh, people, they like it. Do you like that better or do you like the movie? And nobody watches it. You make the best movie you think you were, but nobody watches this. That is no satisfaction. No, thank you. You know, yeah. so uh, exactly the same, the same is with us. We do entertainment. The race is entertainment. And what we can do on the side, obviously, we, we got a lot of people into Formula One because we created more entertainment. But I think now... Looking back 20 years, that what was missing. We were not going with the times. You know, in 2000, I think we just thought, oh, our racing spectacle is the best in the world. You know, we love it. Uh, everybody else. If you don't get it, you're dumb. Ex exactly, yeah. Yeah, you're uh, low class. People. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because we are the best, you know. But nobody watches me. I think I'm the best, but nobody cares <laughs> yeah, about yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, good luck with that one. So <laughs> I think Liberty Media has, has opened up this sport to more people by showing them what we are actually doing. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the entertainment now at the race is a lot different than it was 10 years ago. There is things to do for the people all day long. And times have changed. People just, they don't want to sit there waiting four hours to go cars around in a circle. They want to see the cars go in a circle and then go and do something in between. Yeah, they want to see Shaquille O'Neal walking around and there's Tom Cruise. Look at this Federer. Oh God, fucking TB12s here. The, everyone likes this. I like it. It's exciting. Now, this, this growing audience in the US, how is it helping F1 and how is it, do you think, damaging F1? I think it is not damaging at all. It's just helping. Well, you know, there's like blowback from the Miami introductions. It was a very American kind of thing. and. But we are in America, and uh, in the end, uh, uh, you know, it's a global sport. So if it is accepted here, uh, if this is what we, are, what we are doing here, you know, uh, uh, on the Super Bowl is done. And look at Europeans, uh, like more and more the Super Bowl, they like it there. But because we do it with a conservative sport like Formula One, all of a sudden you change something. That's why I don't like it. And I always say, if you don't like it, don't watch that part and watch what you like because we haven't changed that one. You know, yeah. it's, I, I, I sometimes I think I'm too simplistic, but if I don't like something, I don't watch it and critique it afterwards. I just don't watch it. I mean, it's the simplest way to do right. it. You, you know? don't hate so, watch it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. I'm not sitting there and hating what is happening. No, I go and do something different, you know, and then come back and, and watch what I like. But I think in general, what is done as well in Formula One, again, I go back 10, 15 years ago, uh, the races were, uh, cookie cutter. They were all the same, you know, the same timing, yeah. the same thing. We did all the same all over. Yeah. Now we have got a variety. We've got night races. We got uh, uh, city races. We got uh, races with a lot of show uh, around in it. My, you know? In Miami parking lot races. <laughs> exactly. No, we got we got everything. You know, we got everything. Yeah. To be honest, you know. So, and I think when you have got twenty four races a year, like we we'll have next year. You need different because 24 cookie cutter races, who in the hell is going to watch them? I think they should embrace everywhere they go. They should come out in Lederhosen at the Red Bull ring. They should come out in kimonos and, and, uh, uh, in Japan. Yes, yeah, let's Japan. go all yeah, the exactly. way. We ever go back to Russia, I want to see the big furry hats before we <laughs> yeah. get in the car. <laughs> so, what, so, so what should we come out in, in Las Vegas with? 
Now, now I'm asking you. Thongs. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> showgirl outfits. <laughs> yeah. Or Elvis. Take your pick. You can be Elvis yeah, yeah, exactly. or showgirl. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, that brings me to Vegas. What do you think about Vegas as an upcoming event? Let me just start and say I live 280 miles from Vegas. I will probably have to go for work, but I would certainly like to avoid it and watch it at home. I th I'm a little scared about how crazy it is on a normal weekend. Then you add F1. Uh, that's a little daunting. Yeah, uh, uh, I went there last year when they did the presentation uh, uh, for it, and I was surprised already how much traction it got there. You know, there was a stage and uh, a Red Bull and a Mercedes uh, were going around, you know, uh, like uh, show cars. And I was told there was more than 20,000 people there. And I went on stage and I, uh, I reminded the people that the race is next year, not this year, you know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but but, but, but I, I think it will be... Uh, Again, we will get to the next level of, 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 of spectacle. I mean, but I think what F1 does always very good, and uh, Stefan Romanicali is always pushing that, that the race is the main, the F1 race is the main attraction. And think about uh, F1 cars going down the strip. Who would have ever dreamt about that one? I mean, you know, at night, uh, yeah. uh, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, going down the strip on a phone car. I mean, now, uh, it, it's something which you would have thought is not possible to do. You're right. I was poo-pooing it and someone said, well, you're really not going to watch them drive 208 miles an hour on the strip? I'm like, yeah, you're right. That has to be seen. I can't miss that in my lifetime. I mean, it's, it's, who wants to miss that one? Yeah, I think you you pitched New York City as a street circuit and that's the only thing that could top it. Yeah, I mean, because it's New York, but also we need to see where they could do it, you know, in New York. I mean, it, I think it should be in Manhattan, to be honest. Oh, you know? yes. And let some of the cab drivers drive too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they qualify for it. You know, they can they can drive the base car or the safety car. <laughs> yeah, they should definitely be in that. <laughs> Would you explain to people what a customer car is? I don't know if people know, uh, by the way, I've read your book. I love that you narrate it. That's the most amusing part to me. I'm sure you hated doing that, but I love getting to hear you tell your own journal entries. I really enjoy it. And you kind of walk us through how Haas was put together. And I don't know that everyone really understands what a customer car is. Uh, a customer car in theory is you buy a car from one of the big teams and you put it on the grid. In F1, you're not allowed to do this as simple as this because everything is more difficult in F1. Sure. So when we started off uh, uh, setting this team up, uh, you know, it's the technology is so advanced. Just to get to the level where F1 is now, it takes you years and billions, I say billions, not billions, of money to get there. So we decided we try a different approach. We buy as many parts as possible from one of the big teams because it's all regulated by the regulation. As I said, you cannot go and buy a complete car. Yeah. You need to do certain parts yourself, but like suspension, uh, transmission, hydraulics, electronics, you can buy from a bigger team. And we bought it, or we still buy it from Ferrari. But we have to develop our own chassis, our own top, the safety cell, and what we call the wetted areas, which is the, the body. You know, everything which would get wet when it rains. Oh. That's why we call it wetted area. Okay. You have to develop that yourself, yeah. you know, in the wind tunnel. So, and that is what we are doing the, ourselves. But the stuff like, which if we design like a steering rack, to design the same steering rack like all the other ones have got is a lot of effort because they are very complex, very complicated. And if you make the best steering rack, you will not go a thousandth of a second faster than any of the other cars. So why in the end spend 10 million to, to develop a steering rack? Go and buy it for 
hundred dollars. I mean, it's well, uh, you know, it's one of these things. I would compare that to like Ducati. Ducati, uh, buy some Olin's suspension for the bikes. No, you ain't gonna beat Olin's. Put some Brembo brakes on there. You know, make the Correct, frame, yeah. maybe make the motor. But there's all these components. They're being done better. And people have got the technology, so you don't have to reinvent what is there already. And you cannot make it better, as you say, Brembo brakes. You can. Do the same break as Brembo, but it will take you five years to get there at least. And then you got to amortize these costs that they've already oh, amortized. Uh, you will never recoup it, yeah. Uh, and you will spend shitloads of money to do it, you know. So you rather invest your money in things in the car that the performance make a difference, like, and that is aero uh, mainly. Aerodynamics is the biggest uh, performance di differentiator. Well, look at the floor pan difference between the Williams and the Red Bull when they're up on the thing. You're like, wow, this looks like two different sports. This doesn't even yeah, look like- two different cars, yeah. 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 Two different, so, yeah. So, Matteo Bonotto, he was a part of you getting this done, basically being a customer car for Ferrari, yeah? Yeah. So, how has your relationship at Ferrari changed now that he is not the team principal? Ah, uh, uh. Not a lot because, uh, I mean, obviously I spoke with Matthias actually the day before, uh, the day before yesterday because we still are friends, you know, we had a, a good we chat. We went on that beautiful hike together, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, no. Uh, and, uh, but uh, uh, Fred is also a friend, Fred Vasseur, you know, he's a friend as well. Uh, I mean, in, in the paddock, my, my best friend uh, is Matthias and my second best friend is Fred. So oh. uh, obviously it's not good for them because one lost a job because the other one took his job. So I'm in the middle here, but <laughs> I, I get on with both, but, but they both respect that, you know, because they know I, I, I will not use it to any, my advantage or their disadvantage. I would never do that because they know what a person I am. I've got respect and if Ferrari decided to let Mattia go and take Fred on, uh, 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 I think, uh, and then Mattia is fine with it, you know, I said, okay, I mean, I wasn't the reason why Mattia was, uh, was let go or left, you know, yeah. and I wasn't the reason why they picked Fred. So, I mean, I, I have to do a job as well. So, no, I, I get on pretty well with Fred and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I still have got a very good relationship with Ferrari and over the years, I know so many people there, you know, when I go in there, it's difficult to go in because I could just keep on chatting the whole day, you know, with just saying hello to people. But I, obviously you can move mountains when you have the right relationships at these places. And uh, th they're very important. As I mean, you look at your career, you got Nikki, Nikki Lauda headhunts you at some point, right? And then he even, you call him to get Haas in as an F1 team. And then here you got Matia, it's all relationships. So I could see though, where it would be, if I were you, be a little panicked when he, he disappears. But as you say, you're friends with Fred. It doesn't really matter. Exactly. So exactly. That, that is, I think you're fully right there. I mean, the, uh, the, this is an industry. If you have good relationship and if you have respect, we go back to respect uh, of each other, you can move mountains, you know. But if you're in a clash with something and everything is difficult, it, 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 it's an uphill struggle. Well, I think about that in terms of your relationship with Kevin Magnuson. The fact that you had to fire him but clearly did it in some way that when you call him back, he wants to talk to you. You seem to not burn bridges. Is that something you're aware of? Yeah, no, no. And, and I never, uh, when I called him up, him and Romain Grosjean, uh, when, when we let them go in, in, in uh, 2020, I explained to them, uh, guys, maybe you don't want to be here next year. You know, it, it, it will be difficult. And uh, uh, honestly, I cannot afford you, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was like, uh, I spoke with both of them the same day, which, you know, in the morning, uh, uh, it's, it's, 
it, it's a tough morning when you when you know that you have to let two drivers go, which became also friends over the years, you know, and we were very close together. But as you said, obviously there is always a little bit he let me go, and uh, but that just uh, makes you hotter, you know. When a girl breaks up with you, you always think she's the hottest girl in the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you want to go back? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they were a little. They got a little bit cold on me for a few months, but then we ran into each other and texted, and it was over. But uh, I think, as you say, Kevin, I ran into him. Uh, before we re-employed him in February, I was uh, down in Daytona for the 24 hours and he was driving there and we had a good chat, not knowing what was coming, yeah. and, uh, that I would call him up in three weeks and uh, ask him to come back. But when I called him and asked if he wants to come back, he was not hesitating. Uh, I mean, he was like, oh yeah. yeah. And uh, by the way, at that time he hadn't spoken to his wife, but uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I think she was okay in the end. Yeah, the timing of you bumping into him in Daytona seems suspicious. It seems suspicious, but uh, don't be suspicious. Like simulation. Just, no, no, like we yeah, live in yeah. a simulation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Does it pain you? And, and first, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that Nikita was there because he came with a bunch of money. You're not picking him to be on your team otherwise. Is it painful to make those decisions when you got to do something that's just solely financial like that? Yeah, uh, uh, it is, but... Uh, it's it, like it solves one problem, and then it creates another one. Even if the guy came with a billion dollars, you can't win with him, so what's the point of the billion dollars? But if you have no other option, it's still a good solution. Uh, you, you, you know, if you're with the back to the, the wall... It's the least shitty option, it's a good option? Exactly. No, it's the only option. Otherwise, it's done. You know, otherwise, you're done. You is know? there a limit, though? I mean, obviously, you have to have certain licenses to drive it, but can we put anybody in there if they come with the right amount of money? No, and things have changed since then as well. Uh, you know, you cannot put anybody in because you need a super license as well. And uh, I mean, uh, uh, I think we, uh, we should be uh, respectful there of Nikita in Formula 2. He wasn't a bad driver, you know, and he's not like, it's just like it's the level is so high in F1. No, he's a way better driver than you and me. Who cares? But he was not. Uh, speak, for the 20. Uh, speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. I'm better than you, and he's better than me, so he's better than you. <laughs> uh, so he didn't belong there. He's not one of the 20 best drivers in the world. That's a fact. Yeah, I think that has come out of it, you know, because otherwise, he, I think he would be still in it. You know, obviously, there is uh, difficulties uh, because he's a Russian citizen and with all the sanctions and that stuff. So it's not easy for him in the, in the way. But uh, uh, I mean, it is difficult if you are not good now, because also everything has changed by F1 being so much more popular. You can now go just for the best drivers you want. You don't need any anything to help you out anymore. You don't have to chase the money with the sponsors. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Okay, that brings me to a question you're not going to want to answer, but you're going to answer it, or I'll come to North Carolina. I'm close enough. <laughs> you have to hire two drivers. You can't hire your current drivers. Sky is the limit. What two drivers would you put on a team right now? Uh, uh, for sure, I would put Max on the team, and uh, uh, I would be torn between uh, George Russell uh Hamilton and Leclerc. And uh, I think I have to explain that a little bit. I think Lewis is a very good driver, but he's getting old. And that's why I didn't put Alonso in there because I think Alonso is a very good driver, but... You got a one, two-year ride, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so it's between George and, and Charles. So uh, I, I, I think they're both very good. And uh, uh, if I have to decide uh, by one of the two, I would take that one, which is cheaper, so I could have more uh, money. No, for no, the I already said yeah. sky is the absolute limit. <laughs> sky is the limit. Okay, I forgot about that one. Yeah, sky is the limit. Uh, I, I think I would. Uh, Charles, we're going uh, Charles and Max. Come on. Yeah, let's go, Charles and Max. Yeah. 
What do you think about Lando? I have a I have a theory that Lando might actually be the second fastest driver in F1 and we have no clue. I think the car's so fucking shitty. You see it if you put in Piastri, you saw Ricardo struggle. The car is a piece of shit that he's overdriving. He might be he might be as fast as Charles. Yeah, but there is still a risk because you say it, it's might be, you know, there is no there is no certainty. So why would you take the risk if you know that the other one is very good, you know? And Maybe the other one is a little bit better, but is he 2% better? Maybe 1%? If all goes right, could he be 3 or 4% worse? Yes, because he, he, he didn't have the opportunity to get into one of these winning cars. And that normally is a story in itself as well, because if he would be the bee's knees, somebody would have stolen him away. Do you believe in the X factor that some people just are winners? They might not even be the best, but they're winners. Because I look at he and look at the fact that Ricardo and Lando are on the same team. And Ricardo did find a way to win while he was there. And, and Lando didn't. I, I believe more in people. Sometimes in your career, you get, I call it getting on a wave. You know, you, you just ride it. You know, you can do nothing wrong. And, and sometimes it happens you're in the best team, you're in the best physical uh, uh, state, you don't have accidents, your confidence is sky high. You know, I call it that one. I, f I think that is more than the X factor. You know, it, it's like it happens to a lot of drivers in F1 and people just put it down to the best car. I put it down. You need to be in a good car, but you can make it the best car where you are at. You, you know? have to be also believe you can win. Some people exactly. don't believe they can win. And everybody else is believing with you. You have to give that one over. When Michael Schumacher was at Ferrari, unbeatable. When Lewis won the championships, unbeatable, you know? And I think Max is doing the same thing. Max cannot get anything wrong in the moment. No, it's insane. Whatever he does. Yeah, it's insane. You're just on the wave. I call it being on a wave, riding a wave. You've watched a lot of these guys now. And again, I'm newer to the sport, so I'm probably biased, but it seems to me like something is happening here that will be talked about for 100 years in this sport. Do you agree? When you look at Max and the gap he has, any teammate he's ever had. I, I wouldn't say 100 years. I think we don't remember 100 years back. It will be talk, but uh, I, I think a lot, <clears throat> everybody's anticipating that, that this domination goes on, I say now forever. Obviously, it doesn't, nothing is forever. We know that. Yeah. But uh, I, I think uh, it will be challenged quicker than we think. In one or two years, it will be challenged and we will have forgotten about we forgot about already the domination of Luis and Mercedes. They won seven championships in a row. No, I haven't forgotten. I was bored to tears. I couldn't wait for yeah, no, the rise but, but of people, Max. But people, but people never mentioned that one because Max now is dominating seven races. People forget that there was a domination for seven years before. You know, so oh, yeah, and he I started think, from back and won. He was incredible. Luis was incredible. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. So I, I think there will be a, a, a... But I think these periods will get shorter than they were in the good old days of domination. You think the periods will be shorter because of the, the budget yeah. caps and different elements? Exactly. And changing rules nonstop and... Exactly. Uh, competitiveness, you know, uh, people will come, people will go, you know. Uh, I think everything will be much faster lift. Also, the periods of domination will be a, a much faster turnaround. Okay. Now, you say in your book that you have not watched Drive to Survive. And I got to say, I just find that impossible to believe. You clearly have fucking Netflix, no? Oh, I've got Netflix, yeah. Okay. But I don't watch it. So I explain it why I don't watch it because I'm not in your profession. 
So that's why you cannot understand it. Because you're an actor, you need to watch yourself to do better next and time. And masturbate. I guess. Yeah, that is I want to see how good yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. To make yourself happy how great <laughs> I am, you know. And then say, actually, I was shit, but I have to tell everybody I was good, you know. <laughs> so I'm not an actor, well, you know. So, But let me just give so, you a secret. I watch it to see how great I am, and then I go, oh, my God, I should quit this job. I'm terrible. So it never goes the way I want it to. <laughs> but that is what I'm worried, that I watch myself and say, I have to stop to do this, you know. I'm so useless at it, you know. Because I'm not an actor. I'm doing my job, man. But you is know? it your daughter has to watch it? Your daughter's watched it, yeah? Yeah, but but they, they don't speak. I mean, my, my wife got an opinion of the language I use, obviously, <laughs> but uh, they, uh, I, I don't, you, and you know in a family, uh, you know, you don't ask questions where you don't want an answer to. So I don't ask him, how, how was it? Was I good? No, mm. I, I, it's, I ignore it. Okay. It's just like, and honestly, as much as you don't believe it, I didn't watch it. And you can ask my wife, I did not watch it and I refused to watch it actually. Can I tell you something? You're safe to watch it. You're phenomenal. You're so charismatic and fun. And you seem to be the only one there that is not minding their P's and Q's. It's so appealing. You would love it. You're fantastic. I'm giving you, I'm giving you a stamp of safety. You can watch it. <laughs> There's some interviews I watched of you that you can skip in my preparation. But Drive to Survive, you are safe to watch. You will enjoy it. Crack some beers, put the laptop on the boat you don't drive, and sit out there in the garage and give it a viewing. <laughs> All right. The last thing I want to ask you about is when I am asked who I think the coolest person in F1 is, and it always goes back and forth between the drivers. For me, the answer is very simple. Toto Wolf is the coolest guy in the whole sport. This man, I've heard you talk favorably about him. Are you too drawn into the appeal of the stallion that is Toto Wolf, a wolf named Toto? A wolf named Toto. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't know about it. I mean, I, I, I think Toto is doing a very good job. You know, I, I get on pretty well with him, you know, so we have got a relationship. We, we, we beat each up uh, uh, normally a little bit because he likes that. I you like don't like each other because you're both tall. If the other one wasn't there, you'd be the clear tallest. But because you're both there, <laughs> it's kind of like competition. No, it's not. I, I don't see it as a competition. I don't feel the need to compete with anybody. You know, I do what I do and... Uh, you know, what comes out, comes out, you know? Okay. Just like. So you you don't have a crush on Total Wolf like the rest no, of us? No, not like you. No. no not like you, no. No, no. One no. thing I noticed is I met him in Miami and I, he, I heard he was six foot five, but I'm only six two and we were the same height. So I was a little bit bummed out. <laughs> exactly. I don't think he's six foot five because he's about my height. And I'm six, six two as well. So maybe he's six three on a good day, you know, uh, when he has got heels on. But otherwise, he, he's, uh, if you're six two, I'm, I'm there with you, you know. Okay, I know how tall you are because, and now I will tell you this, and then I'll, I'll sign off. I introduced myself to you in Austria this year. Last year, we were staying at the same hotel, and I was fucking starstruck. And I went and introduced myself to you, and yes, we're the, about the exact same height. But I thought, and tell me. How do you like this fame thing? It, it just happens, I mean, uh, uh, to me. And it's going back to, I never tried to be an actor. I never tried to be uh, somebody famous, you know? It just happened, you know? Yeah. Live with it. But as you move through your hometown where you've lived for 17 years, clearly in the last three years, you must now have this bizarre, like you're at a grocery store, you've been there a million times, no one really gave a fuck. And now all of a sudden, that's gotta be happening, no? 
Yeah, it, it's happening. And, uh, uh, you know, and then, then it comes the stage where people just get used to it, to be part of the community, which is as, as well. Like, you know that they know you, but they are not coming along and, and trying to surround you. You know, they, they, some people say, hey, so the last race and things like this, it comes part of the whole thing. This guy lives here, you know, all right, then, you know, yeah. he's one of us. Yeah. So. Well, listen, um, I loved reading your book. I hope everyone checks out Survive to Drive, your book. I'd recommend getting the audiobook so you can hear Gunter read aloud. It's phenomenal. You're such a wonderful character in this drama that we're all obsessed with. I thank you for being so exciting, and I hope you stick around forever. I hope a uh, ton of luck to Haas. It's, it's been, there's been moments this season where I was like, oh, shit, they're going to do this. Watching Magnuson be so good has been fun. It seems like a good time over there. Yeah, it seems like a good time, and I hope to see you at the race again. Come by. Will do. Our place, please. Yeah, come, just come by. You're always welcome. All right, thanks for your time. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you.